You're listening to episode 188 of the Mad Chatters podcast, May 9th, 2018. Most everyone's mad here. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Mad Chatters Podcast, your very important date with the happenings at Walt Disney World and around the Disney universe. My name's Derek, and I'm joined by my fellow chatters, Matthew. Howdy. And Jeremy. Remember, kids, Iron Man is more than just an Ozzy Osbourne song. Speaking of Iron Man, we are going to get into some Marvel discussions later. We're going to talk about it all. Just do an extensive deep dive into Marvel. But before we do that, let's do a round of the Disney Fix. The Disney Fix. If you're a new listener, this is basically just an episode where any, or a segment, excuse me, where anything goes. If you've got something you want to talk about with your fellow chatters, now is the time to bring it up. So, Jeremy, let's start with you. What have you got? All right. Well, I got two things to share today, two articles that I came across, uh, one Star Wars related and one Marvel related. So keep it tight. Excuse me. Keep it tight. Keep it tight. No, I'm not going there. Okay, so <laughs> the first one is, uh, this is an article that is about the most beloved Star Wars episode in each state. Uh, now, this is a little skewed. It comes from reviews.org, and the data is from the most searched, internet searched, of the Star Wars episodes. So I guess they're assuming that if you Google it a lot, that means you love it. So keep that in mind. Take that with a grain of sand. But I figured I would just kind of go through and see uh, what each state, you know, represented on the show uh, has. So, Derek, you're from the great state of Illinois. Uh, What do you think the most beloved Star Wars film, according to this article, is? I would guess the original Star Wars A New Hope. Uh, You'd be wrong. Uh, It is The Force Awakens. According to this wow. uh, article, Matt, you're from uh, North Carolina. North Carolina right. was a new hope. So that was oh. the, the one. So good choice there. Uh, I'm from Missouri. And so Missouri's is Return of the Jedi. Uh, Terry, who's going to join us in a few, lives in Tennessee as well as Derek. Uh, that is The Empire Strikes Back. Okay. Uh, Florida, since we are a Walt Disney World podcast, also... The Empire Strikes Back. But the thing that bothers me the most is that there is a large amount of states that Google the Phantom Menace a lot. And apparently because they've Googled that. Uh, So I'm looking at you, Arizona, Arkansas, Connecticut, Delaware, Georgia, Hawaii, uh, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, North Dakota, which what else is there to do in North Dakota? Uh, Texas. (laughs) My word, we're losing listeners left and right. Yeah, sorry about that. So, yeah, but overall, for the most part, the number one in 20 of the states is The Empire Strikes Back. So I knew America, it. for the most part, likes Amer- uh, Empire Strikes Back. America. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> America likes Star Wars, but mostly America. America. 
Um, I will tweet this article link so you can look up your state as well. Uh, then the second article comes from BuzzFeed, and this is uh, actors in the Marvel Universe who were – or excuse me, characters in the Marvel Universe who were almost cast as different actors. So uh, I'm going to give you the name of the actor actress and just take a guess at what character you think they might have been cast at or considered. Uh, for instance, Emily Blunt. Who do you think she was considered for? Black Widow. Yep, she was originally uh, considered for for Black Widow Ooh, and Peggy Carter. She was also considered for Peggy Carter. Sam Rockwell was considered for Iron Man. Joaquin Phoenix. Who do you think he was considered for? Um, I don't know, but back to Sam Rockwell. That it, that would be great casting. Wow. Yeah, it says uh, the 2018 Oscar winner was a friend of Iron Man director John Favreau and screen tested for the title role, but it ultimately went to Robert Downey Jr. However, uh, he does appear in Iron Man 2 as a sleazy salesman, Justin Hammer. Okay, Joaquin Phoenix, um, definitely Hulk. Yep, he was considered for the Hulk after Ed Norton uh, left, but he also turned down the role of Doctor Strange. He was insane by then. <laughs> uh, Olivia Wilde. Um, Olivia Wilde. I would guess. I mean, that's interesting. Yeah, I was just gonna guess. Um, Thor's girlfriend, Natalie Portman. Nope, she was considered for uh, Gamora in Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be good. But I really like who we got. So. Yeah, uh, Liam Hensworth was also considered for Thor. But it ultimately went to his brother, Chris. Oh. Uh, Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Oh. I have n- Black Panther. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have no idea. Loki. Nope. Ego in uh, Peter Quill's father in Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2. Oh, my John- gosh. Whoa, 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 wait. Who was actually cast? Jeff Bridges? Is that right? No. no. Uh, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Okay, Kurt Russell and Matthew McConaughey are not the same age, right? Are they? Oh, that's a good... I don't think so. I would think Kurt Russell's older, but when you kind of look at a picture of them side by side, you could see how McConaughey could easily have been adapted for the role. Uh, John Krasinski. Oh, the Star-Lord guy. That's a good guess. Wait, Spider-Man. I, I just heard an interview because he was sitting on the couch with Tom Holland and they were talking about this and he got to the final stage of the process. Shoot, I don't remember. Of the raccoon. No, it was uh, Captain America. Oh, that's right. That's right. So oh, Jim, gosh. Jim from The Office could have been Captain America. Well, you know what's funny? We talked about this the other day that two of the guys who have played... What's what's the fire guy in Fantastic Four? It's like Firestorm or something like that. They, it's been played by two different actors, and both... I believe it's the Human Torch. Thank you. <laughs> it's not Firestorm. <laughs> anyway, it's been played by two different actors, and now both of those actors are part of the MCU. So yeah, and speaking of, why have they not been able to make a decent Fantastic Four movie? They've tried twice, three times. It's oh, it's awful. Uh, anyways, okay, all these people were considered for a role. Uh, Ryan Gosling for the same role. Ryan Gosling, Jared Leto, Justin Thoreau, Ethan Hawke, and Keanu Reeves. Doctor Strange. Yeah. yeah. They were all going for Doctor Strange. Keanu Reeves would have been a little bit mm, yeah, on the nose. Uh, Rachel McAdams. Scarlet Witch. 
Pepper Potts. She was considered for Pepper Potts. Oh, I like that. Gretchen Wieners, that's Pepper Potts. <laughs> Adam Sandler. But now she's in, she's also, she ends up coming in in Doctor Strange, right? Yeah, I think she plays like the surgeon that's uh, Doctor, yeah, Christine Palmer. Um, Adam Sandler. Definitely Star-Lord. Nope. Rocket Raccoon. Well, that would have been along terrible. With, uh, <laughs> along with Jim Carrey, he was also considered before it went to Bradley Cooper. Uh, Jason Momoa. Who's that? Is that Aquaman? Yep. Ooh. I don't know. Uh, Drax from Guardians uh, of the Galaxy. Okay. Considered okay. for that. Uh, Timothy Chalamet. Spider-Man. Yep. We got a kid from Call Me By Your Name. Uh, Jorson, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, Loki. Nope, Star-Lord, mm. uh, along with Zachary Levi. Okay, this is my favorite one, the last one. <laughs> Wait, Zachary Levi had already been in Thor, though. That's weird. I'm just telling you what, what it says. Okay. Uh, David Hasselhoff. David Hasselhoff. Uh, the villain from Spider-Man Homecoming. Nope, he wanted to be Nick Fury. Uh, so, <laughs> according to this BuzzFeed article, back in 1998, Hasselhoff actually starred as Nick Fury. Nick Fury. <laughs> That's Zootopia. Uh, Nick Fury in a made-for-TV movie called Nick Fury: Agent of Shield. While he was never linked to possibly being cast in the in the Marvel universe, uh, he was very vocal about wanting to reprise the role. Uh, still, he got to join the MCU via Guardians of the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 in the cameo role that he's in. Man, some of those would, some of those I think would fit fine and you wouldn't really, I mean, it would just feel natural, but some of those, like, like Ryan Gosling, part of the MCU, that seems so weird. Yeah, it'll probably happen eventually. Fascinating. I'll, again, I'll tweet both those articles under uh, the at Mad Chatters uh, in the next couple of days. Uh, my Disney fix is a short one. I just want to point out that the Frozen Broadway cast recording releases digitally this Friday, May 11th. Uh, so if you are tired of your kids listening to those same six Frozen songs, now you can get tired of them listening to the 18 or whatever it is songs from the Broadway musical. And if you heard my review uh, four or five weeks ago of the Broadway musical, I talked about a song called Huga that I was not a huge fan of because it's it's just very different. And now you can hear it for yourself on May 11th. So if you you know have Spotify or Apple Music or if you want to buy it on iTunes, there you go. Listen to Casey Levy tear it down with Let It Go. Like I cannot wait to hear the album recording of her sing that song because it was so good live. I'm super excited for this album uh, to drop. I'm looking forward to it uh, because of your review of the show. And I'm most looking forward to that. Let it go. By the way, this is not Disney related, but have you heard any of the songs from the SpongeBob musical? I haven't. No. Okay. I heard one the other day and it's, it's actually kind of catchy and good. <laughs> like, yeah. No, the show got good reviews. 
Yeah, which I want to hate it so bad because I'm not a SpongeBob fan. But I heard the song and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back in 2014 on this very podcast when all we did was complain about Frozen week after week, did not think four years from then I would be saying, can't wait to hear the new cast album. But here we are. Here you are. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I'm getting a copy for your daughter for Christmas, so you will be hearing it a lot as well. She's kind of over frozen, you know. She's in the she's into the princesses in general, but kind of frozen's done. Thankfully. Uh mine mine is just a piece of news that I thought was very interesting and very welcome news. Um, and that is that after 35 years, Disney's Night of Joy is no longer a thing. <laughs> I obviously thought of you as soon as I saw this news. It it just kind of happened. Uh, and basically it was announced in this way. Last year was our last show. So, uh... <laughs> I mean, who's surprised? This thing was in the Magic Kingdom for years. And then all of a sudden it was at the ESPN Wide World of Sports. I know. I was like... What people went? I mean, our, some of our church folks. We didn't do like an official trip because God help me. But we had a, a, you know, people that went and they enjoyed the concerts, but they didn't care anything about going to the park. So I'm like, why even bother? Um, Universal is still uh, continuing with Rock the Universe, and obviously this gives them a leg up in this one little like, uh, if this were the competition, then they win because. <laughs> They they keep they're they're keeping going with it. Uh, I I don't know I don't know what happened. It was a logistical nightmare. Having the last one I went to was in 2000, 2015, or maybe it was fourteen when we first got here. And uh, oh, I thought it was a nightmare. I'm just just hellish. Um, Wait, I, I missed the part. It moved to the wide world of sports. Yeah, yeah, last year. That's and they were when they were offering shuttle service to the park. So you still got access to Magic Kingdom. They're offering no. shuttle service. It's like, uh, that's awful. So was the park still open to like the general public? I, I don't know. I didn't go. Oh, that sounds awful. Like, like if there's one thing to keep me from going for that, it's the fact that I, I can't even go to the park. Like if I would have gone to that, I would have been like, okay, if you want to listen to music, we'll go in there first and I'm going to drop you off and I'm not coming back. <laughs> I'll come back and get you when this is all over. Uh, we'll see you later. Uh, the second thing is just a personal note. I uh, we went to the Magic Kingdom Saturday for the first time in in, in like two months that we actually went to a park. And um, can I just say, be the first one of the three of us, and I'm sure that your mouths are going to be agape at this. Can I just say I'm over happily ever after? I'm not surprised. Yeah, you know how I kind of didn't like it, and then I really did like it, and now I'm kind of over it. Yeah. I miss Wishes so bad. I really, really, really miss Wishes. Okay. Well, we are not in the same boat there. I, you, to be fair, you get over things a lot quicker than Jeremy and I get over things. But I, I stopped and made a point to get a spot an hour before Happily Ever After a few weeks ago to watch it for only my second time, and... I, I, I think I loved it even more. Like, I think it's I think it's so much better than Wishes, even though I loved Wishes. I, I, the thing I don't like about it um, are not the things that I originally didn't like about it. I think that all the stuff really takes away from the 
fireworks themselves in the sense that I, and listen, I understand the complete irony in this and that I am the one that said I'm over wishes because I want projections and water and stuff. But the fact that it's now there, I'm like, you know, like I'm so busy watching all that and everybody else is too, that nobody's, I mean, you see the fireworks, but it's not like, ah, fireworks. And I don't know, I miss it. And I just, I miss the music of wishes and the overall feel was just a little more warmer with wishes. Happily ever after has this kind of poppy. I don't know. Yeah. You did not heed the warning. Be careful what you wish for. Because it just might come true. Right. I, 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 when you said warmer, something clicked. Like, I definitely know what you mean by that. The story of Wishes was warmer. Can I tell you my favorite parts, though, is when the fireworks are incorporated into the projections. Like, when Mulan sets up that cannon and she plops it down on the ground and it shoots out on the projection. And then behind the castle, lined up with that projection, is a burst. And then when Merida does the same thing the other way, and then yeah. the other thing happens, it's the same thing. <laughs> I followed you. And yes, that. Yes. Anyway, uh, while we're talking about news, real quick, I didn't, I forgot um, that I thought about mentioning this. Did you see that they're offering now a one-day ticket for the next day? If you buy it, you have to use it the next day. But it comes loaded with three fast passes. That's interesting. What 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 are they including on the fast passes? Okay, so it's it's funny to me because they're including them as bundles. So say you want the bundle called Fantasyland Classics. You're going to get a fast pass for It's a Small World, Dumbo, and Mad Tea Party. And then some of these are a stretch. So futuristic and frightful fun comes with Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin, Haunted Mansion, and Tomorrowland Speedway. I mean, why not? If you're going to do that, are they charging more? Nope, it's the same price. I don't get... The Mad Tea Party. I mean, there's rarely over a 20-minute wait for that. This is clearly for people that don't understand FastPass that think they're getting something when they're not. Yeah, well, what I hate about this is these are all the attractions that usually it's easy to get a FastPass for, and now I'm wondering if I will be seeing less FastPasses or fewer FastPasses for these in the future. Oh, yeah. Because people will be like, oh, sure, go ahead and load those. That's fine. I don't know what that is. It's all beginning to unravel. Uh, last piece of which has just devolved into news at this point. Um, <laughs> I saw the the new Tomorrowland You Are Here mug today. That looks pretty interesting. Love it so much more than the Fantasyland one. Yeah, I'm a fan. A bit later on the show, we're going to talk about all things Marvel. And so, for this week's episode, we've brought on a special guest, someone who I personally love talking to about the Marvel movies because this person loves them as much as I do. Please welcome to the show, Robert Downey Jr. Just kidding. <laughs> it's, it's our friend Terry. Welcome back. You've heard her here before. Yay. Hello, hello, everyone. And while Terry's with us, and while we are talking about Marvel, we're going to do a special Marvel edition of Armchair Imagineering. Hmm. Hmm. Wait a minute. I love that idea. Armchair Imagineering is when we 
put our Imagineering caps on and we pretend that we are a Disney Imagineer and how we would design something for the parks. Uh, today we're going to be Imagineering a land around Marvel, the Marvel Universe, if you would. Uh, so in the same way, kind of Disney California Adventure out in California is getting their own little Marvel superhero area. It can't be called Marvel, right? What are they calling it again? Sup superhero Island? Well, they, yeah, they haven't given an official name, but in all the press releases so far, it's like superhero-themed universe, capital S, capital H. So. Gotcha. I like Superhero Island. I think I just came up with that for them. But um, That's Islands of Adventure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my bad. Dang it. I'm always like one step behind. <laughs> <laughs> or like 17 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to go first with mine because uh, I hate it. And I hate it in the sense that I don't want it to happen. But being an Imagineer, I totally could see them doing this at Walt Disney World. Okay? So my uh, Imagineering for a Marvel-themed area would be at Hollywood Studios. And it would be the Sunset Boulevard area is going to be totally rethemed to Marvel. So... What's going to happen is they're going to, of course, turn the Tower of Terror into a copy of the uh, Mission Breakout. So that'll be Gardens of the Gardens, Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> that sounds wonderful, though. Gardens of the Galaxy. <laughs> well, that's the cue. You have to walk through the Gardens of the Galaxy to get there. <laughs> that is true. Um, and then I think I've said this idea in the past about turning the Ant Man or Rock and Roller Coaster into an Ant Man coaster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I sometimes I have Alzheimer's and I don't know if I've actually sometimes. said something out loud or if I if I just dreamed I said it. Anyway, so I'm going to continue. That's not Alzheimer's at all. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you in the medical field? Yeah. <laughs> I think. I don't trauma, know. trauma. Um anyways, I I'm going to turn Rock and Roller Coaster into my Ant-Man idea. Go back to episode whatever that was if you would like more details. Do you have anything new? Yes, I'm getting to that. <laughs> so um, the Hollywood Bowl Theater is going to be converted into a Captain America show. So do you remember, like, is it the first Captain America or the second Captain America where he's still, like, in World War II era and he's doing, like, the, the shows for the soldiers? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the first one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, so it's going to have, like, that feel at the beginning and kind of be like very like janky how it is in the you know in the movie when he's doing it but then halfway through the show like something's going to go wrong which of course yeah. is like oh the no way all disney attractions are and he's actually going to have to like fight a villain or something maybe it's the who's the red-faced nazi one red skull yeah so uh and and it's going to have peggy carter in it shout out to jeff beru i know he loves peggy carter um, so, you know, something like that. And then I'm going to convert Fantasmic into a giant Avengers-like show. So it will have the, a, a big battle featuring all the characters, all the villains, um, and, you know, like a big 30-minute production. Again, I hate this idea. I hate everything <laughs> about it. But if I'm going to be an Imagineer, I could totally see them trying to, trying to do this. Okay. Um, I, I'm with you. I hate that idea, too. <laughs> but, who knows? But but even with Fantasmic, can't you see them doing that? Because there's the big fight scene with Pocahontas anyway. So I could see them doing something related, you know, on that kind of scale. 
and then maybe some kind of fighting on the little boats as they go by. The big giant uh, dragon could be converted to a big Hulk, you know, or something like that. Yeah, actually, I don't hate any of the individual ideas you mentioned. I just hate that they're replacing literally all of my favorite things, except for Beauty and the Beast, at Hollywood Studios. And I think that park is big enough to where you could just add it as a new land. Yeah. You know? Um, and and for the reference, I, are, do you guys all have lands? I mean, you don't have to answer, but f- for the record, like this, I was just thinking something big in scope, like the land in Disneyland, but... It doesn't have to be a land. That being said, mine is actually <laughs> actually no 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 it's not. I'm I'm going big. I say go big or go home. It's about time we had a fifth park at Walt Disney World. Lord. And I mean, sure, Hollywood Studios could use something else, but I think it's time for a fifth gate. It's been 20 years at this point since we've had another park. So I say create Marvel Adventures Park. And here are some of the things I'm picturing for it. So to get from land to land, you walk through like those orange circles that Doctor Strange makes that are like dimensions into, uh, or they're like portals into other dimensions, you know? And so the entrance to every land looks like that. Like it's projected and it looks like it's sparking. And so it makes sense of why all these lands are side by side. So obviously you're going to have Wakanda, and maybe you could ride like the trains around the trains that carry the um, help me out vibranium, vibranium, and then and then you're also going to have Asgard, and to Asgard, and to get to <laughs> <laughs> uh, excuse well. me, excuse me, that was not a Freudian slip. To get to Asgard, you're going to cross the Bilfrost, Bifrost. Um, Bifro- my word, the Bifrost Bridge, like the thing that. Idris Elba's character creates. Um, Obviously, you remember how Disney California Adventure used to have the California letters out front? I really like those, so I want to bring them back, except it's going to spell Marvel this time. Um, Yeah, so basically just like different lands themed to the different movies. You can can have Mission Breakout here, since we don't have it here. Uh, You, you, well, see, we already have the Guardians of the Galaxy coaster in Epcot, so that's a little awkward. I wish they had just done a Marvel park instead of that, but what are you going to do? We can retheme it. When they open the Marvel park, we'll retheme yes. it. Yes, Because what sparked this armchair Imagineering is the fact that really Walt Disney World has not gotten a lot of Marvel stuff, but Disneyland keeps getting stuff. So I feel like it's about time we had something on the East Coast. But finally, for the kids, you could have a sort of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids type playground, but it's themed to Ant-Man. And so all the big props and pieces all around you. And maybe there's even like a little roller coaster for them to ride or something. But yeah, Marvel Adventures Park. Map. Disney's map. D-map. There you go. Perfect. Rolls right off the tongue. I don't hate that. I don't, I don't hate that at all. Ah, thanks. And you can always expand, you know? The ne- when you add another character, add another land. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That easy. But the, but the thing I had trouble with is what is the entrance? Like the sort of Main Street or the hub? Is it just like New York City? Because <laughs> I feel like... Just, it's just Stanley standing there shaking hands as you walk in. That's all it is. Could be the Avengers compound. 
Yeah, which I mean, just takes place in a city. Yeah. But yeah, it would have to well, be. Well, not the one in New York, but like the big sprawling one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that could be sort of the gate. That's true. I, I like know. it. What would be like your icon? Um, Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A giant Robert Downey Jr. statue. Or the, <laughs> or the building from the ad for the the Marvel Land that looks like a giant penis. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, Terry, you go. You go. Okay, I appreciate that because I'm kind of nervous somebody's going to steal this because it's to me it's sort of obvious. Um, but I actually leaned over to Derek in the movie theater and said this when we went and saw Black Panther. I will freely admit, number one, I have not seen. The world of Pandora yet. I'm going next month and it'll be my first time seeing it, so I reserve the right to change my mind after I see it. But also, I really didn't like Avatar. Um, so, in my scenario, I would like to change all of Pandora into Wakanda. Um, where it's located in the park is sort of there near Africa anyway, so I feel like it's a good gateway to get into Wakanda. I feel like you could retheme like the Navi, Navi River journey into that whole what looks like an underground area where the heart-shaped herb grows and uh, where they bury the new king <laughs> after, yeah. after he becomes king. Um, and I just think the colors and the the fluorescent lighting and all... Not fluorescent. What am I looking for? Bioluminescent. Bioluminescent. Yeah. <laughs> fluorescent lighting would be pretty boring. <laughs> like your Drop ceilings. <laughs> the lighting's not bioluminescent. Ultraviolet. But Pandora is bioluminescent. Gotcha. Yes. Oh. But I know what you mean, though. Like, when we when we saw it, and there's that scene where um, they give Michael B. Jordan's character, like, the mm-hmm. drink from the herb. She said, this looks like Pandora. and it, Or, or you said, Pandora is going to be Wakanda any day. And it really does look yeah. almost identical. Well, and even, too, the, the scene where, like... Um, Chadwick Boseman, uh, Black Panther is fighting Michael B. Jordan's character, but it's in front of those the the big rock faces and waterfalls and yes. everybody standing there. Like I think that's just a gorgeous scene anyway. But it did remind me of like the rock work that I've you know seen pictures of in Pandora, and I just think it would be really mm-hmm. cool. Um, I yeah. think there's a lot you could do, and just it sort of leads itself naturally into the Marvel universe and Wakanda and all that. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, you guys both said when we talked about Pandora that you would not be surprised any day if, like, the Avatar connection goes away. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to be as quick to bring in Black Panther. I think they'll have to do with how the character develops in the future. But it definitely was a big moneymaker for Disney. I was so. going to say, after a billion dollars, they may rethink it. <laughs> God, uh, uh, there's an animal in the name. It's perfect. It's perfect. It works. Um, my idea is an expansion. Uh, not really an expansion, I guess. Unless you consider like just a retheming of an area an expansion. I guess that is. I don't know. It's uh, um, an overhaul, overlay, renovation, whatever. And that's um, Mickey Avenue um, coming down to uh, Voyage of the Little Mermaid, Animation Courtyard... This is just prime real estate for something new and different. Uh, where uh, Star Wars Launch Bay is. That's what it is. Yeah. And uh, you cut... 
you got a lot of potential with a few things. You have that long street, um, which I guess that's going to back there is going to be the entrance to Toy Story Land. So I guess you'll have to start around One Man's Dream where that is. But you've got that big theater. You've got the big theater on the corner where they did the Captain Jack Sparrow show. You've got the Little Mermaid area, Star Wars Launch Bay, the Disney Junior area. Uh, move the entrance from Rock and Roller Coaster, like we've talked about before, to that area. Um, so Sunset Boulevard is saved. I'm not touching that. And then the um, that soundstage club dancing thing back there, the new big building that's available. So you got lots of buildings to do lots of things in. I didn't think of any specifics <laughs> in terms of what to put in them, but you have a lot of spaces to do it. I too, however, thought about an overhaul of Fantasmic and I'm torn about this because I kind of I do love Fantasmic, but I'm also okay with something new happening there now. It's just kind of run its course in my book un- until they unless they do something new with it. Um, and I thought just a Marvel, like, generic superhero show, whether it's Avengers or whatever, would go well there for the evening. Uh, you got water, water stunts, fireworks, just retheme the mountain to, like, a cityscape, and all kinds of fun things could happen. Yeah, I like that idea, because then you'd have, like, Star Wars Land, Toy Story Land, Marvel Land, Bing Bang Boom, and it almost makes the park have more synergy. Yeah. Because it's just, like theme to different franchises. Yeah. I'd be okay with that. I I thought of the stunt show idea because, well, there is one already that tours the country. But every time I think about it, maybe I've just seen too many bad stunt shows at like Six Flags to where I always picture that, you know? Yeah. Hopefully it'd be better than that, though. How dare you, by the way. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, our, our Six Flags cast member our now. Our newest Six Flags employee. Thank you. Yes, team member, I believe is how we are called. Ah, gotcha. Even though my my name tag doesn't say team member, so I'm like I'm like a separate entity. Mm-hmm. Your second string. I don't have to follow the rules that the other muggles have to follow. Or maybe you're the muggle. <laughs> Here on the Mad Chatters podcast, we usually keep our topics focused on the Disney parks, namely Walt Disney World in Florida. But this week, we want to do something a little different. Last week marked a pretty big milestone for the Walt Disney Company that we just can't let go unmentioned on our show. May 2nd, 2018 marked the 10-year anniversary of the film Iron Man, which, when it was released, launched an entire cinematic fictional world we know as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And here we are... 10 years later, and the MCU now contains 19 films, which is crazy. And the most recent of those films, Avengers Infinity War, is currently smashing records at the box office. So, in light of such a momentous anniversary, we want to take this opportunity to do an extensive deep dive into the MCU, talk about its history, what it's accomplished for Disney Uh, some of our personal favorite moments from the franchise, and, of course, what it means for the Disney parks and Walt Disney World. 
Um, okay, so let's get into it. To start this conversation, first of all, let's talk about, in general, let's answer the question, what is the MCU. So this is like Marvel Cinematic Universe 101, you know, because I know probably a lot of our listeners maybe haven't seen that many of the films, if any at all. Uh, basically, the Marvel Cinematic Universe refers to this fictional universe in which all of these films take place. And now, of course, it's expanded beyond the films into comic books and TV shows and all sorts. But all of these stories take place in the same universe in the sense that like if you're thinking if you think of the movies that Fox has released they've released like X-Men movies and then separate from that they've released Fantastic Four movies but those movies don't necessarily share any common elements like those characters do not know of each other but in the MCU all of the characters know of each other um things that happened in past movies are still relevant to current movies because it's all this same timeline, all these same shared characters. And, I mean, honestly, it's it's a pretty brilliant piece of marketing because they've guaranteed that even if you don't necessarily have to see earlier movies to enjoy a movie now, really the only way you're going to enjoy it to its best, to the best way possible is if you have seen all of the movies that came before it. To its fullest extent. Thank you. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. I think it's worth noting as well that this is not the beginning of Marvel movies. That there have been Marvel movies made uh, probably since like the 70s, I believe, is really when they they started doing things. I remember in the the late 70s, early 80s, they had the Incredible Hulk TV show. Do you guys remember that with... um, With Lou Ferrigno? Lou Ferrigno. My dad used to watch that all the time. And I can remember being like really young watching it. Um, and then in the like early 2000s, do you remember they released a whole ton of Marvel character movies that were awful? I'm thinking like Ang Lee had a Hulk film that was put out. Yeah. Um, and that one came out like there was not a lot of time between that Hulk, which is not part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the Edward Norton Hulk, which is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. And uh, there was a Daredevil movie. Do you remember that? Of course. Um, with, uh, what's his name? Ben Affleck. Benifer. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, they weren't exactly breaking new ground when they started do- doing these Marvel films. But it would be interesting to me to know, like, when they kind of start, when they made Iron Man, which is a rare character to start out with, because it was not really a known character to the general public. Uh, You probably would have thought of Captain America or, or even Thor before you thought of Iron Man. But they went with Iron Man and it hit. It makes me wonder, was that the point that they decided, hey, we should try to create a whole universe? Or was that kind of retroactively sort of put in place down the road? It's a good question. Yeah. I know, you know, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man made an appearance at the end of Hulk. Right, which which came out the same year, yeah. I think. So, in a way, I sort of feel like they had to know yeah, in a, at least some small way that they wanted to explore this, but at the same time, that could have easily been something that after it was so successful, it was like hey, let's tack this on to the end of The Incredible Hulk and see what happens. Yeah, because uh, you you mentioned as well uh, the X-Men, which are not included in this sort of universe. However, they are starting to play with that a little bit too, with Deadpool being a part of their own little universe there. Uh, So you have like crossovers and things. 
Yeah. Um, and of course, now Disney owns Fox. So the rumors that are flying are, you know, will one day soon Wolverine maybe show up in one of these Marvel Cinematic Universe films? Um, I want Deadpool to show up. Well, I'm sure there's a room of execs right now who are like, whatever we have to do to make this possible, tell us what it is. (laughs) We're going to make this happen. But anyway, yeah, because X-Men, those are still being made and those are Marvel comics but they're not part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it could be very confusing if you're a casual fan of all this, mm-hmm. but... One of these days, uh, there will be a documentary made about the formation of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all the things that were happening backstage, and I'm excited for it. Yeah. I'm with yeah. We're making it right now. <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> People will go back and listen to this episode. Yeah. And they'll be like, wow, they had no idea what they were talking about. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, I, yeah. It, it is kind of hard because we have not read the comics. Um, not all of us have seen all the movies. So we're going to do the best we can um, with this episode. Um, but a bit later, we are going to talk about the movies themselves, talk about some of our favorite moments, and maybe give some synopses of these films. Um, but first, I think it's important for us to have a brief refresher course of how this whole Marvel Cinematic Universe phenomenon began and how Disney got involved with all of that. Uh, And to do that, I guess we actually need to go back further, like you said, than just when Iron Man debuted in 2008. We can't really talk about Marvel Cinematic Universe, Marvel Studios, Marvel Entertainment, unless we obviously first know what Marvel is. (laughs) uh, For those that don't know, it's... um, uh, we call it, it began as a comic book publisher. And so the first one being in 1939, a uh, long time ago, uh, I think the Human Torch is what I saw was the first um, kind of hero featured in in a, in a Marvel comic, that first one. Um, from there, the biggies became Captain America, World War II. After that, probably the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man. Uh, and they were all just comic books that were distributed, made by the, the Marvel folks, whatever they were, <laughs> but distributed by various uh, publishers throughout that those early decades. Um, does anybody know the first movie based on a Marvel character? I'm not going to say superhero, a Marvel character. The first movie made. Can you tell us the year it came out? Well, now there were two decades. I mean, th- there were companies that literally, and I think, I think we beginning we begin to see what happened that led to the MCU as we know it, as far back as the '70s, when there were talks with various studios about making films, but nothing, just nothing, ever got off the ground from just character development, script writing. It didn't matter who Marvel approached about, uh, or who approached Marvel about taking these characters on. It just didn't happen. Until 1986. Howard the Duck. It was Howard the Duck. Yeah! Wow. Yeah. So, Tracy, the MCU goes all the way... No, not the MCU. Just the, uh, and, that, and at that time, it was just... Um, I would love Howard the Duck to come back in, in the MCU, though. He did. He made an appearance. Was it the first or second Guardians? Guardians, that's right, yeah. Well, he, he's the uh, tag at the end of the first Guardians. Okay. And then he Uh-oh. is in the second Guardians at like one of the bars or something. Yeah, yeah, he makes a quick little cameo. That's cool. Can we talk about Howard the Duck though? That uh, sure. film because <laughs> he looks like this sort of uh, 
what you would think of as the Donald Duck costumed character in the parks. And it's, um, what is her name? Uh, uh, the redhead that was in all the movies in the 80s. Uh, oh my goodness, I just lost it too. All I can think is Caroline Ray. Because it's Caroline in the city. Yeah, is it Lee, Leo? Oh, Leo um, Leah Thompson. Thank you. Leah Thompson, yes. Yeah. And so she plays like the love interest. And I remember seeing this movie as a kid and just even as a kid being like, this is weird. <laughs> if I remember right, there's even like a little hint of a uh, sexual relationship between Leah Thompson and the duck. Like, what is that? <laughs> this was a movie I was not allowed to watch as a child. Oh, yeah, me neither. <laughs> well, because your mother didn't want you out there flirting at the pond. Well, my mother also let me watch Dirty Dancing when I was like five, so I don't really hold a whole lot of stock in that. So. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it all starts with a duck. It all starts with the mouse for Disney. It all starts with a duck. For the Marvel films, uh, in, in the couple of years that followed that, the, the Punisher was put out in 1989. First Captain America film, 1990, uh, and it looks dreadful. And uh, Fantastic Four in 1994. I don't remember any of these. Mm -mm. Not once. Day. I was looking back at them today, like I don't remember that at all. I remember Batman, mm -hmm. DC, obviously. I remember those films from my childhood. I'm like, why do I not remember? They must have just been awful and not well, done very well. I think you got to remember as well, too, that Batman 89, which was directed by Tim Burton, really changed the game for best uh, Joker ever, by the way. Yeah, because, I mean, when you watch it now, it looks kind of corny and like goofy in the sense of compared to what the Dark Knight became and all that kind of thing. But that was like serious Batman. It was dark at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And everything kind of superhero before that, especially on like TV, and and I love the '70s Wonder Woman and and all that, but it was very like childlike. The Tim Burton aspect really brought in the comic book feel, though, even though it was dark and 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 serious. Yeah, so I'm willing to bet these Marvel films probably still had that that really cheesy feel. That uh, you know, and probably really bad special effects, really bad costuming, really bad script. That's probably why they flopped on no one's radar. And, and they didn't do well. And and that was the um, if you're looking if you're looking at a timeline, this was uh, when it was known as the Marvel Entertainment Group. Uh, changed their name in 1993 to Marvel Films. And um, hold on, I gotta make sure I get my wording right. Well, let me give a little plug while you're trying to think of your words. If you have not seen a documentary called The Death of Superman Lives, What Happens, you have got to watch it if you're a comic fan. Because this documentary is all about the failed Tim Burton, Nicolas Cage Superman film that was scheduled to be released in like the 1994, 1995. You've probably seen the picture floating around online of Nicolas Cage in the Superman costume with the long black hair. Yeah. Terry, you've never seen this? I've never seen this, and now I really want to see this. <laughs> you, just Google it here in a minute. You'll be impressed. Uh, but yeah, this documentary goes through all that, and it's fascinating. Uh, so it became Marvel Films, and I don't know if it was a merger or takeover, but there was a deal with uh, Toy Biz in 1993. And throughout, like, it seems like from the 90s, uh, late, uh, from uh, 93 until. Um, it's basically until 97, 98, just putting out uh, animated versions of The Incredible Hulk, X-Men, Spider-Man, and, and still nothing. It, it, 
all of this building up to, um, I think, Disney's uh, takeover and so on, just nothing they did was widely popular, widely accepted. I mean, people knew Superman, people knew Batman, but no matter what entity these properties took on, uh, no matter the superhero and their popularity, whether it's the X-Men or Spider-Man or whatever, nothing uh, took off in, in general. I remember playing a lot of like X-Men video games and stuff when I was little and Spider-Man, and I knew of that. But, you know, the, just the, the, the cinematic stuff in general was not tapped into. Uh, in 96, Marvel Studios, as we know it, uh, in terms of the name, was formed. Um, okay, another fun fact. Under the Marvel Studios... Moniker, can anybody tell me the first um, film based off a Marvel character that was made with this new studio's name? In 96? Uh, it was actually 98 when the first film was produced. Or oh, was it released. Blade? It was Blade, uh, which I had no idea that was a, a, you know, a Marvel character from the past. But uh, Blade, followed by, and for me... This was probably, looking back in my memory, the first time I can see, okay, I remember that movie. I mean, I remember Blade, but I didn't really associate it with Marvel at all. I associated, though, the X-Men in July of 2000. That kind of feels like the beginning of the modern Marvel Studios era to me. Of course, it was the, you know, it was 2000 and it leads up and I'm still familiar with all those, all those characters, of course. Um, From 2000... Uh, to 2002 was oh, 2002 was Spider-Man the first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. I think yeah, I think so. it was early 2002 because I remember there was a lot about having to remove the twin towers and stuff from Ooh. the first film because it was not long after 9/11. And I mean to read about this, it's just like you there's you can tell why nothing just took off because there was no solid vision and direction for the films in general. I mean, one was coming out with Sony, and one was produced with Fox, and one was coming out with Paramount, and there was multiple directors and multiple visions, and and just nothing was tying it all together. Although that first Spider-Man trilogy, as I recall, was very, very, very successful. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, took out... I remember Spider-Man 3 toppled um, Dead Man's Chest for something opening weekend or... It beat the, it beat that record, which Dead Man's Chest had held until that point. So those, well, those films, any, any film that has a Nickelback song, is destined for greatness. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, two thousand five, and I think this turns the page into our our current conversation. In two thousand five, Marvel gained the film rights to Iron Man from New Line Cinema. And had all had already by that time apparently regained the film rights to the Incredible Hulk, which when was that the first Hulk movie, the first the terrible one? When was that one made? Is it two thousand five, six? Yeah, around that time. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah. that was or that was in this little deal here. Okay, and then of course Iron Man begins filming in two thousand seven. It's released in two thousand eight, and that brings us into the current Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe as we know it. In two thousand nine. On December 31st, 2009, the Walt Disney Company purchased Marvel Entertainment for $4 billion. And, of course, from that time, we have, you know, the Avengers um, series and the independent standalone. I guess they're not independent or standalone. The, uh, what would you call them? The Marvel Stories. Is that... 
<laughs> yes. Uh, all, all the, and we'll go over those uh, over those in a minute. But I think it, it, this is what Disney did, and you know, I'm not smarter than these people that know business and they know the entertainment industry. So me kind of thinking through this makes me think they probably thought about that. And I think what they saw, what I would see, is like just an untapped entire universe of just original ideas and new stuff that we can play with for the next lifetime that nobody has tapped into successfully yet. And what it does in in bringing the whole studios, and I know there's still some rights issues with Spider-Man and and like we said, X-Men at this point in 2009, X-Men and so on. But what it does is, is it gives a singular vision and a singular direction to that universe. And so with the Avengers and all the tie-ins and this movie and this TV series and all the things that took place after that, um, that gives a singular unifying direction and and vision to what to that point had just kind of been everywhere. And I think that accounted for a lot of its unsuccessfulness to that point. Yeah, and at the time of the purchase, I was a big, as we all are, parks person. Like, to me, the word Disney meant the Disney parks, namely. So when I heard that they were buying Marvel, my first thought was, whoa, 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 Universal Studios already has an entire land dedicated to Marvel. And Spider-Man is still one of my favorite attractions of all time. So that was my first thought, like, oh, they're wanting to add attractions to the Disney parks. This is going to be so weird to see Marvel at Disney. And now, of course, after 19 huge blockbuster films, I see that Disney's vision expanded much farther than just the parks. But that was my first thought. Like, how is this going to work? We might add, as we've talked about in the past, uh, Eisner's legacy was expansion of the parks and expansion of the Disney Disney as a brand. And I think that Iger, who became CEO in 2005 or four five um, of Disney. I mean, obviously his legacy is going to be this. I mean, this was the first of these huge acquisitions that Disney made. And in the last, you know, 20 or so years that have really changed the face of Disney entertainment, Um, you know, following that has been um, Jim Henson and then uh, Jim Henson Productions or whatever it's called. And then Lucasfilm. And I mean, and then Fox. I mean, you just (laughs) Iger is the CEO of, acquisition time and just bringing all this stuff into the Disney uh, universe. And so this was the first of that and a big step and a successful one, highly successful. Yeah, I I was just about to say that leading into our our next little discussion. I mean, I think it's fair to say that this was a good purchase (laughs) by Disney. (laughs) They made their money back. You know, it was it's proven to be a good purchase, but it was kind of risky I mean, because none of these films, I mean, Iron Man was successful. The Hulk was successful, but not near, not as successful as Iron Man. Um, and so those were the only two films in the cinematic universe that had been released thus far. So it was a bit risky because it was an unproven franchise as far as none of the films previously recorded or released had been like huge blockbusters. Yeah, and I guess I I didn't know I didn't think of it till right now, but I guess the first movie that was released after Disney purchased them was my least favorite of all nineteen MCU films. Right? Wasn't Iron Man two the next one? Mm-hmm. Iron Man two yeah. in uh, May of two thousand ten. So come on, Disney! It took them a little <laughs> bit, you know, I had to get into it a little bit. Uh, I think when it like clicked for me was two thousand twelve with the Avengers, 
And that was really the first one I went to theaters to see. And I was really happy that it was doing really, really well. And I was like, yeah, Disney owns this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to agree on that, Matt. I, I was never really huge into the comics or into the uh, you know Marvel or DC for that matter. Um, I enjoyed like the Dark Knight franchise and all that kind of thing, but never like a huge fan. Uh, when I saw the Avengers, though, it not only sucked me into the Marvel side, but also into the DC side. And uh, I have become a comics fan since then. And uh, there's something about tying the universe together that I just love and like. And and DC has done that as well now with the Justice League and all that. Not nearly as successful as Marvel, of course, but they've attempted that kind of uh, trying to string characters together instead of just having them floating separately in their own little worlds. Um, so, which honestly, and this isn't this show, but honestly, I think it works. It works. It doesn't work as good with the DC characters, uh, not just because the films have been obviously terrible, which I haven't seen many of them, but just be- just because I don't think the- those universes don't mesh well. The problem is the DC films are so dark. I mean, one of my criticisms of some of the Marvel films is that they take the humor a little too far sometimes. <laughs> But I think that's what people like. People like that it's it can be serious, but then have lighthearted moments at the same time. Everything about DC, with the exception of like uh, the, the Wonder Woman movie, is it's just dark, dark. And these characters are suffering and they have psychological disorders and problems <laughs> and demons. And it's like, man, it's so heavy. And for me, for the DC side, I feel like they just saw the money train that has been the MCU and thought hey, let's do a Justice League movie, but we're not going to explore these characters individually first and get you interested in them. We're just going to throw them all together. Yeah, it's like, okay. Who cares about Aquaman? Why would I need to care about you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they rushed it, for sure. Like, Marvel took 19... Like, if Infinity War was a 19th film, and while watching it, the whole time I was thinking, everything we've been seeing has led up to this moment. Justice League had had, like, what, two, three movies before, and some of the characters introduced in Justice League had never been in any of those, so it just felt like thrown together. Something I'll add before we move on is, um, you know, the the Marvel stuff and Disney's acquisition of it, and then you could go on to say the acquisition of Lucasfilm and the rights to uh, Indiana Jones from Paramount, I think uh, brought... um, a little bit of masculinity and, and an appeal to 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 boys um, into the Disney world. Not that it wasn't there; they were really doing well with the pirate princess thing. Like you know, it's not just about princesses. Now we got pirates. You know, in the late in the in the mid two thousands with the success of the pirates movies. But this has brought a whole new level of that to Disney. I don't know if the Universal tactic about you know Universal is for big kids and we're we're beyond princesses and stuff now. Those little commercials they did, like if I have to prick kiss one more princess, you know, um, I don't know if that did well for Universal or not, but certainly these types of purchases and exploring these universes have brought uh, unknowingly, even if they don't know it's Disney, you know, they brought boys into a vast, huge section of their market that was not maybe there before in that number. Yeah, I think there's something there. Yeah. And dads, too. <laughs> dads of kids yeah. now are like, oh, I hear there's a new Guardians ride at uh, Walt Disney World. Yeah. 
quickly, speaking of all of the acquisitions that Disney has had over the past 10 years, 10 plus years, um, have you all ever seen the extended cut of Patton Oswalt's character from Parks and Rec when he's doing the filibuster scene? And he does, He go, they just told him to go. And so he starts talking about the upcoming new Star Wars movie, Episode 6. And he's and he even brings in this is where we bring in the Marvel universe and where we bring in the and he just <laughs> for about ten minutes straight just talks about his his um his picture for what this new Star Wars movie is going to be like and how it's going to bring in the Marvel characters. And what's funny now is he even talks about the Infinity Stones and Chris Pratt's character is sitting in the corner just like with his head in his face, like his head in his hands, like looks so intrigued. It's <laughs> so meta. It's hilarious. That's but crazy. What is this? Where can I find it? Look it up on YouTube, but it's, it's a Parks and Rec extended cutscene with Patton Oswalt. Um, he was in one episode, and he's fil- filibustering a city council meeting. Okay. It's phenomenal. <laughs> it's the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about, now that Disney has bought Marvel, whether or not it's been a success. Well, I think the best way to to uh, judge success for this would be by the box office numbers. And so out of all 19 of the uh, Marvel films. Let me just give you a little quiz here. Which Marvel film do you think costs the cheapest to make? Of all 19? Of all 19. I would say Iron Man. I would say The Incredible Hulk. The Incredible Hulk was the second cheapest at uh, $137 million to, to make in its budget, or spent in its budget. Uh, but Ant-Man was the cheapest at $130 million to make. Uh, the most expensive, of course, being the most recent of the Avengers films. I think it cost, uh, let me see... I think it was. It says it in between three hundred and four hundred million dollars. And I'm guessing much. that's for parts one and two together because they filmed them both together. Oh, okay. Well, that would make sense then. Uh, but every Marvel movie has made money. Um, some it took a little bit longer to make that money, uh, but a lot of them, most of them, made money its opening weekend. That uh, almost covered its entire budget. Uh, the lowest weekend opening of a Marvel film was Ant-Man as well. But ultimately, it went on to make over $500 million. So clearly, even though it had kind of a slow start, it, it definitely made money. But like I said, every single one of these Marvel films came in way over budget, or uh, their final expense, opening weekend, domestic box office, and worldwide box office, uh, they made three, four, five times the amount that they spent. So they made money on it. Yeah, which is amazing. You figure 19 films, and critically, I think every film is pretty well-received. There's a couple in there that are not as well-received as others, but there's definitely not one movie that we can point to and go, well, that was a bomb. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty impressive for 19 films. Absolutely. It's insane. We said the same thing about Pixar. That means they're bound for a bomb soon. They're bound for a good dinosaur sometime <laughs> sooner or later. Brave. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can figure is, I mean, they they took a chance on introducing characters that were unknown. So you figure when the Guardians of the Galaxy came out, who knew what Guardians of the Galaxy was? Only hardcore comic fans. Same thing with somebody like an Ant-Man. 
you know, he was not a known character. So they had a lot of room to play with the character and develop the character because you're not dealing with a Superman or a Batman or Spider-Man that's already in the psyche of the American culture. The flip side to that is you're introducing characters that people don't know and people may hate. Um, You know, it's kind of safe to assume that if you release a Spider-Man movie, there's going to be an audience that's going to see it regardless of how bad the critics tear it apart because it's Spider-Man and people like Spider-Man. Somebody like Ant-Man, you know, if the critics tore that apart or if it just sucked, uh, you know, you're not going to get an audience for that. So yeah, they, and and there wouldn't be a sequel. Like it would be no hard decision for them to be like, okay, never mind, he's not in Infinity War anymore. <laughs> let's just let's forget he exists. Yeah, and listen, I enjoy all the the Marvel films. I haven't seen all of them yet. I'm still catching up. I'm always about four four months to four years behind. <laughs> That's usually where I'm at, and just in life in general. But um, <laughs> I will say the movies that I enjoy the most are the uh, sort of rarer characters that they kind of take risk with. Like I loved Ant-Man, loved Black Panther, loved Doctor Strange. Like those are some of my absolute favorites, if not my favorites. I enjoy the Captain Americas and the and the Iron Mans and those kind of things, but I just think that those minor characters, they, they have so much room to play with them that it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think Disney saw that back in 2009 when they bought them. Just like Matt said, I think they were like, wait, we can go way deeper than just Captain America and Iron Man. So um, I, I want to read some numbers that I came across as I like when last weekend when they were announcing all these huge records that Infinity War was breaking. Like it made me wonder how how it's done in comparison to the other films. And when you look online, like I look today, Tuesday, May, whatever today is 8th. <laughs> and I looked at a list of the highest grossing films worldwide. So like when it was all said and done, when they left theaters, their final number, they are in the top whatever of of grossing um, films. Number five of all time is the first Avengers at 1.5 billion. The MCU is also at number seven, number nine, number 14, 15, and 17. Mm. of the highest grossing films of all time. Number 15 is Infinity War, and it's been out 12 days. Wow. Oh, wow. So I'm pretty sure it's going to be higher than 15 when it's all said and done. It'd be like 17. (laughs) Uh, Not that kind of higher. (laughs) Yeah, so The Avengers is still the highest grossing um, MCU film to date. But when you look at opening weekends, because you know, like, box office numbers drop significantly between weekend one and weekend two because everybody wants to be there to see it opening weekend to avoid spoilers. Of the top 10 highest opening weekends in the U.S., so we're talking domestically, not worldwide, but the highest opening weekends of all time, six of the top 10 are MCU films. Wow. That's crazy. Infinity War, Avengers, Black Panther is number six, Age of Ultron's number seven, Civil War is number eight, and Iron Man 3 is number 10. You know who likes these films? Teenagers like these films. The young people. (laughs) No, I'm serious. I work with youth, and they don't like a whole lot, but they will make a beeline for the theater for these Marvel movies. And and it kind of goes along with what I was saying earlier. Not just little kids, like little boys and their dads, but, I mean, oh spanning huge uh, demographics with those. Mm -hmm. 
Well, Matt, you had some trivia for us earlier. I'll, I'll throw one at you guys. So I mentioned the the worldwide grosses. Okay, but domestically speaking, the, the biggest moneymakers of all time are a little bit different. The Avengers is not the highest rated MCU film domestically. Do you know what is? So when we're talking about the U.S., this Marvel film made more than any other. Black Panther. Ding, ding, ding. Black Panther. Uh, I was going to say a Captain America movie, but I don't know which one. Oh. Um, nope. Uh, Avengers is number six, but the third highest making or highest grossing film of all time in the U.S. behind Star Wars The Force Awakens at number one and behind Avatar at number two is Black Panther, which is still in some theaters here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. So, kind of crazy. Good on them. Also releases on digital tomorrow. That's right. Does it really? Or maybe today. Good Lord, it's been like it's been like a month. Or was it in February? Did it release in February? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it's not been last month. <laughs> All right. So let's get into these movies. Let's let's do like a a sort of rundown of the nineteen movies. Um, I think this is this might be helpful for people who maybe are their friends are pressuring them to go see Infinity War, and they're like, "But I haven't seen the others." Well, that's where we're gonna come in right now because maybe we can give you a general idea of what's been happening in these movies and catch you up. But also, we're going to nerd out a little bit and talk about some of our favorite moments from this franchise. Uh, so basically what MCU has done is is split these films into phases. So right now we are in phase three. And each phase kind of leads up to a big climax before starting the next phase. So let me just tell you the six films that are in phase one. And let's talk about like what we think are the most significant and best moments. So Iron Man and The Incredible Hulk were released in 08. And then you had Iron Man 2 in 2010, Thor in 2011, Captain America, the first Avenger in 2011. And all of these kind of built up to the final film in phase one, which was Marvel's The Avengers, which came out in May of 2012. So let's talk about Iron Man for a little bit. This was, I think, a big deal. I remember seeing this in the theater. And I think it was a big deal because, first of all, the casting Mm -hmm. was genius. Like, Robert Downey Jr., I know, had had a troubled background, (laughs) to say the least. So I think Marvel was sort of taking a chance on him. But everything about this film just worked. Like, he was so snarky, and it was so, it's so deftly blended humor and action. And like Jeremy said, like, it gave us a character that we really didn't know a lot about. Yeah, and I think what was interesting, too, is when you think of um, superhero characters pre-Iron Man, you think of uh, men who are just sort of incredibly, like, jacked and physically fit and just these very stoic... Um, you know, burdened with power and purpose type characters. Tony Stark is like the opposite of that. Like, he's just, what does he call himself? A genius millionaire playboy? Like, that's him. Like, he is a womanizer. He is, you know, sarcastic and doesn't really care about anybody but himself and yet becomes this superhero. Um, And over the arc of his character, you know, you see him um, develop more of a conscience and uh, develop more empathy for other people. Mm-hmm. Is um, this Iron Man or like the, the Trump biopic in like 20 years? <laughs> <laughs> Both. It's crazy. Well, now as you say that, and 
it's like he is a flawed character, and there really should be a lot about him that we don't like. Like you mentioned, he is a womanizer and, and all this kind of thing. But he has that personality that he is likable through his flaws. And I think that's the first time we've seen a superhero, at least on the screen, display that. Because usually the superheroes are completely flawless and almost to an extent boring in a sense. Or they're so troubled and so unlikable that you end up with what you have now kind of with a lot of the current DC characters. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, just get over it already, you know, shut up. Um, so Iron Man was like that perfect mix of he's kind of like you and me. Like, yeah, he's, he's you know, not perfect, but he's not all bad either. Yeah, that's exactly right. And this was the first scene. This is the first movie to have one of those famous now post-credit scene, mm-hmm. which kind of introduces an element that's going to come into play later. And I remember seeing this in the theater with my brother. And at the end of the movie, Samuel L. Jackson shows up, and to re and he intro- I guess he, you know, he's Nick Fury for some some he- reason. Does well, he introduce himself? or No, I think the only people who knew he was Nick Fury were the comic book okay. fanboys. Like, yeah. who hardcore nerded out. I remember watching this with Derek, and I asked why Shaft was in the film. <laughs> I was just about to say this. I saw it with my brother first, and as we left, we were like, doesn't he bl- play Blade as well? No, that's, no, Wesley, that's Snipes. Wesley Snipes. Okay. Then maybe it was Shaft. Not all black people look alike, Derek. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we did ask if it was Shaft, but it was either Blade or Shaft. We left the theater. We're like, was that was that supposed to be Shaft? Yeah, yeah, it had to have been. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> funny because when I asked you, I remember specifically, you're like, no, that's Nick Fury. Because I think I looked it up after I saw it with Ryan. Yeah. Okay, so as we talk about these films, so one thing it did, like I said, was it added characters that you see pop up later. So like Scarlet, no, 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 Black Widow appeared in... Iron Man 2. Yes, Iron Man 2. And you see Hawkeye for the first time in Thor. Thor. So, like, these little Easter eggs where I'm sure if I was a huge Marvel fan, I would have been like, oh my gosh, that's Hawkeye. But I I didn't. In fact, it wasn't until I watched Thor a second time where I was like, oh, Hawkeye's in this? I don't remember that at all. And so that's genius. But also what these movies started doing was introducing this story that only now in Infinity War is finally being played out to its full extent. So Infinity War is called Infinity War because it's these it's this war over these Infinity Stones, and there are six of them. And this is not a new storyline. This was actually introduced, I guess, in Captain America. Captain America, first okay. one, yeah. Yeah, because the Tesseract is the, I want to say, Space Stone? Yes, I think. it's the Space Stone. Yeah. And then in Avengers... You see Loki's scepter, which has the Mind Stone in it, which we didn't know at the time. And so I think it's so cool that even back in 2010, 2009, whatever, they were introducing these stones that were going to play out in the 19th film in this franchise. And these are called um, Horcrux, right? Yes, they have to destroy the Horcrux. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Horcruxes. Well, the, the, and, and the Infinity Stones... Uh, and and that storyline extends into the comic books, correct? I do oh, not. Oh yeah, know. there is a comic book series called the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, it's the story you see play out, uh, well, to some extent, in Infinity War. Because I remember seeing the Thanos uh, hand, glove, whatever that is, 
you know, back before he was even introduced into the comics uh, or into the films, um, you know, at comic book shops and that kind of thing. So so that maybe they knew kind of from the beginning that that was kind of the storyline they wanted to go towards. But you're right, Derek, to stretch it out over 19 films is pretty impressive. Yeah. And even Thanos was introduced in the very first Avengers film, like at the very, That's very kind of... end, you say that you see that he was behind the whole attack on New York. Like he was the one who challenged Loki with this or, or sent Loki on this mission, so to speak. And so even that was like they were giving you these little hints like, wow, Thanos must be a really bad guy. And then the more you go through the franchise, you realize like you don't see a lot of him, but he is a force to be reckoned with. He's a piece of work. Yeah, and now here we are in Infinity War, and he's finally risen to full power, and he's scary. Like, he's a scary dude that could end the world, essentially. So, any, uh, Terry, any favorites from Phase 1? From all of Phase 1? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's two things that literally just popped out at me, um, and I was telling Derek earlier, I actually rewatched the first Avengers this past weekend, um, after having seen Infinity War a few few days before that um and just talking here two things have stuck out to me in the first avengers in the very beginning scene when um the the tesseract is sort of going crazy right before loki um uses the the tesseract to come through space um nick fury keeps mentioning to maria hill something about we're moving forward with phase two we're moving forward with phase two i think that's a fun little easter egg for people who love the mcu that this was the end of the phase one of films they're moving forward with phase two um but also interesting because i hadn't thought about this yet at that point in time loki technically possessed two of the infinity stones the mind oh and he got the tesseract so he was incredibly powerful (laughs) in that avengers movie because you know, they keep talking in Infinity War about the more stones you possess, the more powerful you are. And at one point in time during the Avengers, Loki was incredibly powerful. Now, granted, he didn't have the, the gauntlet and right. all of that, but he was in possession of two of the Infinity Stones. Wow, good call. Yeah, didn't think about that until right now. Um, so my favorite Avenger, well, it, it, I think it goes back and forth now because Thor has really done like a 180 from his first film and I really like <laughs> Thor a lot. But for a long time my favorite has been Captain America and I was and I was thinking of why I don't really love his first film. I don't think the first Avenger just never really captured me. And I think it's because it feels like one big prequel basically because the Captain America I know and like is the one who's sort of tortured because he has, you know, he grew up in a different era. He's still getting adjusted to the fact that He's fought in World War II, but now all of a sudden he lives in the 21st century and it's all very jarring and he has different principles and different ideals. And that's the Captain America I like. So that first film where he's in his own time period, to me, just feels like one really, really long setup. Like I, like when you watch an episode of a television show and it says previously on, that's what the entire <laughs> first Avengers feels, or Captain America feels like to me. Uh, so I think I finally put my finger on why that's not my favorite movie. It's funny you say that because I actually like the first Captain America. Yeah? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's because you kind of get to understand this character. Because, again, Captain America, probably out of everybody in that universe, is the most boring character of them all. Whoa, whoa, whoa. In the sense that he is so straight-laced and do the right thing. And, you know, he's just like white bread. Like. I- I have to say this. I teased Derek about this. 
all the time and he loves Captain America so it's not I'm totally not bashing him but like when we went and saw Spider-Man Homecoming for those of you who have seen it and there's these like cheesy in school videos with Captain America doing these little PSAs to the high school kiddos and I just lean over to Derek and I'm like you are so Captain America <laughs> yes Derek is Captain America I am Iron Man and Matt is Hulk on this podcast show me those billions <laughs> I'm Iron Man without the money. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, I posted this the other day. I, I get why people might call him boring because he's not the one cracking jokes. He's not even really the one laughing at other people's jokes. So, like, I kind of get that. But I think it's unfair to call him that because he's young and fit. So you think of him as, like, a person our age. But really, he's, like, 70 years old. So how do you expect him? You expect him to act like a 70-year-old man but when you look at him, he doesn't look that old. So you feel like, it's like, why aren't you cracking jokes? Why, aren't, why are you so serious all the time? And also I have a question for you, Terry, because I know you yes. like Black Panther a lot. Yes. I see Black Panther and Captain America as being the most similar people in the MCU. So why is one boring and why is one well, not? Well, and I think I would agree, or I not agree. I think I would say that Captain America has grown on me as the films have progressed. And I think it's because... Captain America has become less of a less of a mindless like I'm just going to follow rules and do what everybody tells me to do type character and he actually has principles of his own. Yeah. Um you know, he's when he started off he was very much a soldier for the US Army and the US government and in a way he and Iron Man have sort of switched roles ideo ideologically. Um yeah, especially in Civil War. Um, but now he's sort of more of this rogue character, and what he's doing, he truly is doing out of what he believes is best for humanity and for the Avengers as a whole. Um, so I think I've grown to like him more. Now, for me, Black Panther, I think, you know, his arc in Civil War totally, you know, started off as a, um, a guy who was out for vengeance against the man who he thought killed his father um, and ended up showing him as a very empathetic soul you know he was still out for for justice but not the type of justice that was just blind vigilante ju justice which i thought was interesting so okay. i do i see a lot of similarities between the two yeah. and i do think i like and appreciate captain america more now okay. <laughs> than maybe i did with the original two captain america movies okay i mean that does make me feel a little bit better about it because i'm like i mean both of them are very virtuous both yeah. of them take themselves very seriously and take what they do very seriously so i think it would be strange to love one and hate the other yeah. but what you said makes sense yeah my name is so. black panther you killed my father prepare to die <laughs> Now, I remember when the Avengers came out having the same fears I had when Infinity War came out, and that was, how are they going to make a good movie with all of these characters? Like, how are they going to have time to focus on Thor and the Hulk and Iron Man and Captain America? And the Avengers is still one of my favorites, absolutely, from the okay. franchise. But it's just funny looking back on that now when Infinity War has to juggle, like, 20 main characters. So I, it's funny that I even thought they would have trouble with the first Avengers. Well, when you kill half the cast, it's not... Whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa. <laughs> I didn't say which half. Okay, any other thoughts from Phase 1? And Phase 1 ended with the first Avengers, correct? Right. I do have to say the first... Um, the first Thor movie... Um, I liked better upon repeated viewings. <laughs> um, I think it was just so different. Like, it took you totally out of um, 
an Earth setting, you know? I mean, you were on this fictional, in this fictional universe of, of Asgard and um, just sort of, but I, I really appreciate those characters and Loki totally became one of my favorite characters and villains, um, anti-heroes throughout the whole whole MCU, so. Yeah, I think Thor is super underrated. I It okay. got not a great response from fans, so I waited a long time before I saw it, and when I finally did, I just had a lot of fun. Like, he's funny, I like mythology, so that was interesting to me, and yeah, Loki has given us one of the best characters in the MCU. And also, the Avengers was a big deal, because this was an attack on New York City, which means up until this point, the uh, superheroes could kind of remain anonymous mm -hmm. and hidden behind the scenes. But now the entire world saw on the news aliens show up out of thin air. And they saw Iron Man and Captain America and the Hulk fight these aliens. So from the Avengers on, they're sort of celebrities. Like, mm -hmm. there is it Dr. No, is it Thor Ragnarok where they see Doctor Strange and someone wants their autograph or something? There's a scene in one of the most recent movies where they're on the streets no, in New York. It's Ragnarok, and they yeah. see Thor, and they want their pictures taken with him. And Loki's just kind of standing there like, oh, yeah, yeah. when they go to look for Odin. Yes, exactly. It's just funny. <laughs> okay, so that's phase one, and by this point we've introduced um, Thor, Captain America, all those first um, Avengers from that first film, and we've introduced two of the Infinity Stones, which brings us to phase two. So these are the movies that include Iron Man 3. So we already have three Iron Mans before we even meet some of these other characters. Uh, we have Thor, The Dark World. Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Guardians of the Galaxy. Avengers, Age of Ultron. And for some reason, phase two ended with Ant-Man. It's not exactly a not sure climax <laughs> like uh, The Avengers was. Well, Ant-Man came out just like two months after Avengers Age of Ultron. So we could say Age of Ultron ended. Okay. <laughs> you can't just say that. <laughs> we, just, we have determined it right here. <laughs> like any good part two, its strength is in what it leaves undone. Mm, that's true. Let's talk about Guardians of the Galaxy for a second. Had any of you heard of these characters before Disney announced they were making this movie? No. Me neither. I had not. I'm no, ashamed fact, to say that many of these characters. <laughs> you never heard of them. I'm ashamed. I can, I can remember though when they um, when that, they announced Guardians of the Galaxy, going to the comic book store and just looking at the covers of some of the Guardians of the Galaxy comics and being like, "What is this? This what is this tree person and a raccoon like?" What in the world are they doing? And this also was around the same time that I believe they announced that they were doing Big Hero 6, which is also kind of a Marvel property, if I remember correctly. Uh -huh. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, why are they trying to do these weird characters and make these things happen? And nobody wants this. Where's my princesses? princess. <laughs> <laughs> and did you see it? Uh, I did and loved it. I thought Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, the first one, was phenomenal. The second one's good, too. Don't get me wrong. The second one, though, to me, like, they they found their wheelhouse and, hey, these are the characters that can be, like, seventh grade humor. And we can have a good time with that. And the second one, 
the 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 jokes kind of become tried and true about halfway through the film. You're like, all right, we get it. They fart. You know, it's funny. You know, whatever. Um, so, but I I love the first one. I thought the first one was phenomenal. Yeah, it was such a departure for them because this came right after Captain America: The Winter Soldier, and The Winter Soldier is, I think, still my favorite film of the nineteen because it it almost turned into like a spy thriller. And I was talking to Terry about this earlier. Like, it it feels more grounded than the others. You know, like there aren't super humans out in space battling aliens. Like, this is humans battling humans, and who can you trust and who can you not trust? And I really like Captain America as a character, so that was thrilling to me. And his old friend from 1940, the 1940s, um, Bucky Barnes, has returned all of a sudden, so he's dealing with this. Like, what I thought my friend was dead, and here he is. And you go straight off of that into this movie that takes place in space. Your main characters are this misfit collection of, like, aliens and then half-humans and weirdos. And it's funny, and the music is good, and it they like ejected new life into this franchise. It was just so surprising to me. I think it took me a minute to jump on the Guardians of the Galaxy train, because I think just seeing the trailers and all of that leading up to it, it was like, what the crap is this? Like, what's happening? <laughs> um, but when I finally watched it, I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I have to say, I just watched volume two for the second time. I'd only seen it once in the theater and I was like, eh, it was okay. I think I like the first one better, but upon repeated viewing, I think I actually like volume two better than volume one. So I really liked volume two as well. Yeah. I saw it twice and I, I didn't quite get why people hated it. And I'm with you, Jeremy, the jokes, like there were too many jokes. Yeah. Like when you put that many jokes, if not every single one of them lands, then it's too many jokes. And that's kind of what happened. But I thought the story was was really well right. well plotted and very tight. It's on Netflix right now as well. If anybody would like to watch it, there you go. It is now in phase two. We get more two more Infinity Stones. So the Reality Stone is introduced in Thor: The Dark World, and it's the weird kind of mystic ether. Is that mm -hmm. what it's called? It's like a liquidy thing. Yeah. Which why would you think of that as a stone? But um, that was introduced here. That's the Reality Stone, and it can kind of transform what you perceive to be reality. And then in Guardians of the Galaxy, we see the Power Stone for the first time. In fact, that's kind of like the central plot mm -hmm. of Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, yeah. And then in Age of Ultron, the Mind Stone is taken from Loki's scepter and put into a new character, Vision, that... And he's sort of like an android built by Hulk and Iron Man. I kind of like this character. A lot of people don't, but I kind of like Vision. I, I, it's fun now going back and watching some of the earlier movies when Jarvis was still Tony's operating system or whatever, and just hearing Paul Bettany's voice and knowing that he would eventually become Vision. Um, I, I just like that. Yeah. So, um, I think I'm one of the few who really enjoyed Age of Ultron. Um, I love the Scarlet Witch. Yes. She's one of my favorite characters. Um, so I think if for nothing else, just her introduction into the Avengers. Um, but I also, I just enjoy the story. And it has one of my all-time favorite scenes in the entire MCU, which is the party scene in Tony's apartment in his penthouse before Ultron shows up with all of them just sitting around and drinking and telling stories and all of them trying to take turns lifting uh, Thor's hammer. Like, 
it's genius because it is totally just like a bunch of friends hanging out and being stupid and drinking and it's so funny to me. Um, is it Captain America who tries to grab the hammer and it wobbles a it, little yes, bit and Thor's face like freaks out for a second like what is happening <laughs> and he breathes a sigh of relief when he can't lift it. Yeah, that is a great scene. And I also love Natasha just going, yeah, that's not a question I need answered because <laughs> they look at her and want her to try to lift it. I just love it because it's totally a girl going, yeah, you guys have your little pissing contest. I'm I'm cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And and it and it is an important film because this the the battle of Sokovia that takes place at the end like a lot of I mean in the movie a lot of fictional people were concerned about how this whole battle went down because they don't like how how Vision was sort of created by mm-hmm. Iron Man and now he has all this control over this person um, a lot of people died like it was not a great ba- it's not a great look for the Avengers so this is what brought into effect the Sokovia Accords which explain that because I know you're going to do a better job than I can. So the Sokovia Accords were introduced in Civil War where basically um, the UN tried to say, hey, look, Avengers, we love what you do, but a lot of people are dying. Like when you just go off and willy-nilly try to save the world, you end up just destroying a bunch of stuff and people lose their lives and we got to kind of rein it in. Um, And so it's the UN and the governments of the world trying to rein in the Avengers and say, we want to keep you guys on standby, but only when we really need you. Um, so basically, if you use your powers or if you go off on your own and try to save the world, you're going to be you know, a criminal and we're going to arrest you and throw you into prison and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, what's interesting about that is it totally sets up Iron Man and Captain America <laughs> on two very different sides than what you think they're going to be on. Iron Man, who has always been this rogue character who has um, just been very independent and free-thinking and on his own, he he ends up siding with the UN and saying that these accords are a good thing, they need to be put in check, a lot of people are losing their lives and uh, things like that, and Captain America ends up coming out on the other side, um, kind of moving away from his soldier-type attitude and his obedience to authority and saying, no, this isn't right. You know, when there's a problem, we need to be there to solve it no matter what. I had never thought of that until you just articulated that. Well done. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that is what begins what we know of as the Civil War, which, true confessions, when they announced that they were doing Captain America Civil War, totally thought it was going to take place in the 1800s because <laughs> <laughs> we had already seen him fight in World War Two. And like time travel, I was like, oh well, I mean, it's the next, it's the next logical place to go is time travel. And well, people from the comic books were so excited about it, like, oh, they're doing civil war. I just assumed that they would be fighting in the American Civil War. Two brothers on their own. (laughs) (laughs) For for listeners, that one listener right now who was like, wait, is it not? I'm here to tell you, it is not. It just refers to the fact that the Avengers are split down the middle on these whole on these uh, Sokovia Accords, and that brings us to Phase Three, which begins with Captain America: Civil War, also known as the Avengers Part Three, <laughs> because in this movie we see pretty much all of the Avengers except for Hulk and Thor, which have gone off to do their own things, and they explain that at the end of Ultron, like where they have gone. But we are introduced to, in their place, I guess, Spider-Man, which was a big deal because up until this point, he was his movies were produced by Sony. And we're also introduced to Black Panther. So Phase 3 has Captain America Civil War. It has Doctor Strange. It has Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. 
Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, and then this year we got Black Panther, and we got part one of Infinity War, and then by next May we will have another Ant-Man movie, we'll have Captain Marvel, and we'll have the conclusion to Infinity War. So phase three is quite larger than mm -hmm. the others. And, and I think it's important to say that most of Phase 3 is post-Civil War, in which they're fighting over whether or not Avenger statues should still be standing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's a hot topic, for sure. Um, looking at this, I, it's so amazing to me that I think Phase 3 is the best. I would agree. Almost by far, which yeah. you would think a franchise would get tired by this point. But they're still developing characters. They're still giving characters more to do than they had in previous fil films. It's amazing. I think part of the genius of the MCU is by giving, you know, these characters over 19 films to grow in. Um, they really do grow. They, they don't stay stagnant. I know we've talked a lot today about, like, Captain America and his arc. You know, he's not the same guy he was when you meet him in the first Avenger. Um... Tony Stark's not the same guy that you meet in Iron Man 1. Um, you know, all of these characters have grown and they've changed based on how the MCU has grown and changed and how the world around them has has changed due to their own actions in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, for me, Thor has changed the most. We were talking earlier before we recorded how in the Avengers, when you rewatch that first Avengers, Thor very much feels like a side character. Like, we're here to see the Hulk, we're here to see Iron Man, and we're here to see Captain America. And Thor's there, too. And he's got a cool hammer. I mean, that's cool. <laughs> but Thor Ragnarok is easily in my top two or three MCU films. Not only because it's very, very entertaining, it is hilarious. Like, yeah. it's so quirky, and you don't expect that. But also, Thor has, like, this transformation from guy with hammer to, like, passionate, determined, almost patriotic for Asgard. Asgard I keep saying the other word. Uh, Asgard. <laughs> if you can call it patriotic because it's, like, a planet. Mm -hmm. But um, he's, he's very passionate <laughs> for them. And he gets, like, these extra powers with the lightning. And he is the coolest superhero. <laughs> like, and it just, it feels kind of, it feels like a natural progression, but at the same time, it feels like it comes out of nowhere where he just, oh gosh, he just transforms completely in front of your eyes. And I, I love that, that even in the Thor, third Thor film, we're making such huge leaps for these characters. It's like he finally embraces his God status. Yeah, You yeah. know, like before he's just sort of been this guy who... He gets the throne, you know. He mm -hmm. he's the uh, the heir apparent, you know, to Odin's throne. But he finally embraces. No, you're the god of thunder. Like you, <laughs> yeah. It's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> have you guys seen Thor Ragnarok, Jeremy and Matt? No, I have. I have not I've yet. Seen the first two. It's very different from the first two. Yes, it is. One that I did see because um, I'm catching up is Doctor Strange, and. Here again is a character we know nothing really about, except he's just this odd character in the Marvel Universe. And I'm sure he has a following somewhere, but not enough that you would think he would be featured in a you know, film on his own. And yet I loved it. Uh, it was very much like uh, Inception and... Um, oh, what was the other movie? I, oh, The Matrix. It kind of reminded me of like, if those two had a baby, and then it was carried to term by Marvel. Uh, 
by Stanley, <laughs> then this is what we would have. And I like it because you have the Guardians of the Galaxy, which are in space, and then you have you know New York uh, characters, you have the mythology characters, and then this is another aspect where it feels like the universe is complete because he's really like in these. Um, what do they call them? Like uh, time shifting things or whatever? Yeah, like dimensions, I guess. Dimensions. There's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. So, you know, and it has Tilda Swinton, who I love. And I love Tilda Swinton, especially when she's playing roles in which I picture her being just like that in real life. Like, <laughs> I'm picturing Tilda Swinton as this Buddhist thinker who is uh, just on another level of, uh, you know, enlightenment than all of us. And that's who she is in this movie. So <laughs> I love her. Yeah, that's another character that they developed because I liked Doctor Strange. It was okay. I left the theater very meh on it. I thought the last 20 minutes that were like that Inception type stuff, those 20 minutes were incredible. Like some of the coolest special effects I've ever seen. But I liked his character even more in Infinity War. Like I felt like they, I felt like they found even a, a better foundation for him to stand on. And so that's just another example mm -hmm. of how they keep improving upon these people and these stories. Terry, any favorites from Phase 3? I I just feel like I need to say for the record, Tom Holland is the definitive best Spider-Man ever. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just amazing. His introduction in Civil War, like, stole the show in a lot of ways. Um, and his his solo movie was phenomenal. I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great um, departure in some ways. Like, we had gotten so big in the MCU, and we were very much coming off of, like, an Avengers high, and then bringing it back down to a, um, a threat there in the city. And having another very well-developed villain. Mm -hmm. um, I love Michael Keaton in that movie. I think he's such a good villain. Um, so I just, I loved Spider-Man Homecoming. I thought it was so good. Yeah, I think it goes without saying that we also love Black Panther. Oh. Like, yes. how did MCU <laughs> put out Homecoming, Spider-Man Homecoming, followed by Thor Ragnarok, mm -hmm. followed by Black Panther, probably three of One my top of five or six Agreed. films. Like, all of them are just solid through and through and highly entertaining. They really, really are. Yeah, Black Panther, I think I saw it four times in the theater, and I don't oh. regret it one yeah. bit. Like, I took something different away every time, and, and only a small part of that was due to Michael B. Jordan. So... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I gotta say that the Spider-Man, again, I'm always a few months behind everybody, so I didn't see it until it was on, you know, the HBO a month, a month ago or so. And... I'd heard it was good, but I'm also the type that when things are overhyped to me, I automatically just don't appreciate them as much as if I would have seen them probably in the theater. That movie is, could not be overhyped at all. It was so good. I couldn't believe how much I enjoyed it. And especially when I'm probably one of the many in the United States who were kind of suffering from Spider-Man fatigue because I like the character, but he's definitely not like my favorite the way he is a lot of people's favorite. Like I enjoyed the Tobey Maguire films. I got a little tired through the Andrew Garfield films. So when I heard that they were bringing him back again, it was like, come on. But I also appreciate the fact that they didn't go through the whole origin story with him. Yeah. And uh, that, because we've, we've seen it, we've been there, we've done that. Uncle Ben has died more times than 
Susan Lucci's character on All My Children. I mean, you know, it's like, let him just be dead. Let him rest. Uh, so I appreciate that. Black Panther, loved Black Panther, loved I don't know. It was just such a well-done story. And it, like you said, Michael B. Jordan's character was so uh, likable but unlikable at the same time. And uh, that's that's a good line that, to tread right there. And uh, Plus, it's a whole other aspect of this universe that has been yet to explore because it felt like a fantasy world but still rooted in, in the real world, mm-hmm. uh, which was so good. So. Uh, yeah. yeah, I would agree with you that the third phase is definitely the best phase. Yeah. Can yeah. we talk about that twist in Homecoming for a second? Like, did Look, anybody see it coming? Oh, I you did. saw it coming? Not not way early in the movie, but the okay. closer it got, I went, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like, this is going to happen. Yeah, like, it's her dad is what I'm talking about. Sorry, the villain I don't know is... how much to spoil. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, sorry. It came out a year ago. I'm so sorry. It was Terry's dad? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Michael Keaton is my father. <laughs> Batman's my dad. Anyway, great <laughs> film. Okay, so let's let's wrap this up by talking about Infinity War. This is, I think, where we need to put the the Lots red alerts, the sirens. We're about to spoil some mess here, if that's okay. Matt, are you okay with this? I'm just yeah. I don't know if I want to listen because I haven't seen it yet, and I do care. Okay, I will leave that up to you. I'll just I'm gonna, I'm gonna step out of the room for a moment. Okay, I'll I will. I'll text then... you when we're done. Well, I'm going to stay right here. I'm just oh. going <laughs> to... <laughs> okay, that works too. Show uh, television magic. Okay. Okay. So, we don't have to give a play-by-play synopsis, but just like a review, and there might be spoilers involved. Mm-hmm. Terry, how do you rate Infinity War? It is way up there for me. It's definitely in my top... I think it's my top three, honestly. Um... I was nervous going into it. How do you fit this many characters into one film and it not just feel like people are making cameos and there's not a complete story? Um, But sort of going along with what we were talking about, um, about Spider-Man Homecoming and Black Panther, um, I love a well-developed villain. I love a villain who they they give you reasonings for, for why they're the villain, you know, why they're after whatever they're after. And I love Thanos' story, you know. It's not just some guy who wants to commit gen- genocide to commit genocide. Like, he, he has a reason, as flawed as it may be, um, for his actions and for his, his quest in finding these Infinity Stones. Um, so for me, that was what sort of set it up like set it apart or made it higher on my list was it wasn't just some big bad guy that um they were out to fight who didn't really have a a clear and defined story he did um and then i loved that most of the characters you at least felt like you got some good time like if you if you had a, a favorite uh if you have a favorite avenger going in i think for the most part you walked away feeling like you had some good screen time or some good lines from your favorite um with the exception of, I think, Captain America and Black Widow. But like I was telling Derek earlier, I think that's setting us up for a larger role for them in part two. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see that. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I loved it the first time we mm-hmm. saw it. You know, the theater was super into it. We saw oh, it opening it night. Yeah, it was so much fun. The crowd laughed when they were supposed to laugh. They cheered every time a new character showed up. So when I saw it a second time, part of me worried that without that thrill and without, like, the feeling of, oh, good, Captain America's in this movie. Look at him show up. That's awesome. I thought it would 
be sort of lazy, you know? Like, we don't have to have good writing because we can just trust the audience to cheer. Kind of like Fuller House. When, when, <laughs> Fuller, when Fuller House uses the line, how rude, they know it's going to get laughter. So they can just put it in the film as many times as they want. So, like, let's just introduce another Avenger here. We know people will love that. It, the second time, I liked even better than the first time because mm-hmm. I realized that there were these smaller moments. Like, there's a really emotional moment with Thor realizing that he's lost everyone in his life, so why not go big because what else is there to lose? Like, it's actually a very touching scene, and it mm-hmm. has those throughout the film. And I also love that the action scenes in this... I mean, if you're not an action fan, that stinks. You're not going to enjoy it. But <laughs> as a fan of action, like... After 19 films, how are they still thinking of new ways for these characters to use their abilities, to use their suits? Uh, They got so creative with these action scenes, and the two and a half hours completely flies by. Like, I was really, really pleased with it, and I think I like it better than the original Avengers, which was one of my favorites Mm -hmm. for a very long time. So, I, I don't know how they pulled it off. Yeah. How interesting that you say that, because uh, Bob Saget actually was considered to be Iron Man. Not a lot of people know that. <laughs> Crazy. I believe it. I could totally see that. Yeah. Um, I meant to say this with when we were talking about Black Panther, but it fits here talking about Infinity War as well. One of the things I love is how Marvel has sort of um, embraced and really elevated sort of the girl power in their movies. I think superhero movies in general can come across as very masculine. Um, and what I loved in Black Panther was you had Black Panther and you had uh, Michael B. Jordan's character as a really good villain. But aside from that, the the heart and the soul and the action came from these like really strong women um, who just sort of took over the movie. So in the same way, what I love about, one of the things I loved about Infinity War was during the huge fight scene in Wakanda, there's a time where it's just Okoye, um, Scarlet Witch, and uh, Black Widow. And the three of them teaming up together and Scarlet Witch does her thing at some point and Okoye looks around like, why hasn't she been down here the whole time? Like, (laughs) we could have used her. But I love it, like, just pairing those three together. Um... And I, I love that Marvel has sort of embraced that. And I'm sure that is in no small part due to the massive success of Wonder Woman with DC mm. and seeing that there is a place for this and there is a thirst for that. You know, women want to go to a theater um, and see, like, women kick butt, you yeah. know? Like, they want to leave feeling that empowerment as well, so. Yeah. I walked away from Infinity War saying Scarlet Witch is the coolest superhero Heck yeah. in the MCU. Like, how have, how has she not gotten her own movie mm-hmm. already? Because she, she her powers are, she's almost unstoppable. It's insane. Yeah. Um, so, I also love that they gave characters time to, like, interact with characters that they've never been with before. Thor got a ton of time with the Guardians of the Galaxy, and seeing those two worlds collide and riff off of each other was so entertaining. Just, like, thoroughly enjoyable. His line, when he jumps in the pod to leave, and Rocket has been calling the rest of the Guardians morons this whole time, and Thor, because he is not of this world, you know, totally just thinks that's their group name. And so, like, looks at everybody else as they're leaving and says... Goodbye, morons, you know, so (laughs) seriously. And I just love that. I love, and that's part of the humor that Ragnarok brought into the MCU um, that I just think is so funny, and it makes Thor such an enjoyable character. Yeah. My favorite line is also for him. It's it's near the end as they're battling, and all the Avengers are kind of coming together as one and sort of saying hey to each other, but also, like, we have to (laughs) kick butt, so I can't take a lot of time. And Groot is doing his thing, so Thor looks at Captain America and says, meet my friend, Tree. 
<laughs> Groot, of course, says, I am Groot. So, so Captain America goes, I am Steve Rogers. <laughs> it's such, it's such so a great dry. little moment between all three of them. And, oh gosh, it's such a good movie, and I can't wait to see it again, even though mm-hmm. I just watched it yesterday. I'm with okay, you. Okay, so, so now my question is this. We've come to, we're wrapping up phase three. It's been 10 years, 19 films. Uh, many, many actors. It's almost become a who's who of American actors, almost in the same way that the Harry Potter franchise is the who's who of, of a British actors. So my question is, as we continue to still introduce characters, and yet we still have characters, uh, where do we go from here? How do we continue to fit? Again, spoiler alert here. There is a scene, there are several scenes throughout um, Infinity War in which we see characters perish. Uh, now, whether that they are perished permanently or if at some point they're going to be restored, we have no idea. But uh, a lot of the characters are killed off, in a sense, uh, in this last film. I can't imagine that they're going to stay dead, at least not all of them. But the question comes up, you know, these are actors who are paid for their roles, who... Uh, you know, somebody like like uh, Robert Downey Jr., I mean, he's been in at least 10 of these films, uh, making appearances on somewhere, some level, if not starring in them in a, in a main role capacity. There has to come a point where he's tired of, of being Iron Man and he wants to move on to other projects. I'm sure he's not tired of cashing the check, but I think those things have to be considered. So in your guys' opinion, when does the franchise begin to lose steam? Is that in the foreseeable future? I think the brilliance of MCU is they've set themselves up to not run out of steam. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, early on in phase one and phase two, it very much was a franchise built on the backs of Iron Man and Captain America and Thor and those first Avengers. Um, I think what we've seen as as the franchises have moved forward is... um, characters like Black Panther and like Scarlet Witch and Falcon and Bucky Barnes and, you know, they've kind of grown into their own characters, some better than others. Um, But I think the way it's been built is sort of you start caring about what could be seen as secondary characters as much as you cared about those original Avengers. And I think that's a purposeful way to do it to where when it is time for those original Avengers to retire or to move on to other projects, you still have a group of people that you really care about and you want to see the continuation of their stories. Um, I think it's a fine line to walk. <laughs> I think, you know, especially as we talk about things that could be brought into the MCU, like Deadpool or like X-Men. Like, at what point do you feel like you're jumping the shark? Like, at what point yeah. do you feel like you're just taking advantage of, of the audience and their love of Marvel um, and what's a good move. So I think that's a fine line. Yeah, I think creatively you're right. I think there's still a lot of room. <clears throat> but we do have to remember that these are actual actors and they have actual contracts. So if you're asking that question, look, moving forward, I think it's probably safe to assume that Robert Downey Jr. will be the first to leave just because when, when part two comes of Infinity War, that will be the end of his contract. Um, that doesn't mean he can't renew. He might have already renewed, and we just mm-hmm. don't know. Um, but him and Captain America, I think both of their contracts end with that film. Hulk has a couple more on his contract, so we know we have to get more films from him. Ironically, S- Sebastian Stan has only done six of his nine movies wow. for his contract. So he has at least three movies after part two of Infinity War. Um, so it will be interesting to see who signs off first. 
you know, and who says, okay, you guys take it from here. I want to move on to other things. That will be interesting. I love Sebastian Stan so much. And I would like to see, you know, Bucky get some more, uh, some more exposure. He mm-hmm. will. He will indeed. I think the only thing that I, I kind of hate about our, our open entertainment culture where we do know things about co- contracts and things like that is I feel like it did sort of take me out of the moment at the end of Infinity War. Like I, t- I told Derek as soon as the movie was over, I was totally on board with what was going on. And then the second they killed off Black Panther, I was like, oh, no. That he's got to come back. Like, that's a billion dollars. <laughs> Disney's not flushing that down the drain. Like, <laughs> this, this isn't going to be long term. So I sort of hated that. Um, But um, no, I get that. Um, I I was torn because we we, we kind of looked, we kind of breathed a sigh of relief at the same time. Like, wait, all these characters keep dying. Oh, never mind. They're not going to kill him (laughs) off. There's no way they would do that. But at the same time, I also think if they had made you believe it, that that certain characters died and then they came back next year and like, let's say they do some sort of time reversal and all these characters end up being alive, I think people would be mad. Like, mm-hmm. wait, seriously, you made us believe he was dead and he just brought them all back? That's so lazy. Mm-hmm. So I think they had to f- figure out, okay, do we want it the first way or the second way? And they chose to do it the way where maybe you don't believe it necessarily, but it's still very impactful as you watch it. Like, spoiler, but during that scene, I was noticing as I rewatched it, there's no music in the background. So for about four or five minutes, you see these characters one by one die. And it's almost haunting because it's just silent. And you hear them, you know, like, say their last words or whatever. And it's very moving, even if part of you knows... Okay, they're not really dead. Have you seen the meme of um, it's different bags of colored sand and it says something about the new Marvel action figures being released? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's so morbid. I love it. I really loved the whole um, spoilers without context. Like, me- like <laughs> all of those memes were phenomenal. Um, like, just the pile of sand, or like the my favorite was the poster. I think our friend Katie posted it. The poster from the Left Behind movie with Kirk Cameron. Because, <laughs> because you haven't seen it yet, Jeremy, right? I haven't, but I, okay. I know everything happens. But but it really does feel like that because there's a scene where since everybody's disappearing, like helicopters are crashing into buildings and people was like, this driver's seat is empty. And like, it totally feels like the left behind. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I think the, the franchise will jump the shark when Kirk Cameron is added to the cast. I don't know. They're spot on so far with their casting. So if they feel that it's right, I trust them. Mm. But yeah, that's that's a synopsis. If you haven't seen Infinity War, I'm sorry for spoiling it, but also go see it because there's a lot to love about it, even if you already know what's going to happen. And it sets up sets us up really well for part two, which will come out next year. Uh, but since we are a Disney Parks podcast, I think the only appropriate way to end this podcast is talking about what do we think is coming to the parks. Disneyland, like I said, has gotten a ton already. And at Walt Disney World, we are getting Guardians of the Galaxy, the coaster um, do you guys know what's going on with the rights? Like, what's the story there for Universal Studios and Disney? I, I have no idea. As far as I know, you know, it, they're contractually obligated. Uh, if Universal is smart, they will hang on to that contract until it <laughs> absolutely runs out. Uh, well, because yeah. Disney will take advantage of that, I think, and, and run wild with it. Especially because they, you figure they have characters. They have uh, Spider-Man, obviously. They have the Hulk. Um, do they have Thor or Captain America featured in their parks in any way there? Yeah. Oh, do they? Well, Captain America used to, I mean, he he's on the 
side of the building. I think he was a meet and greet character there. I don't know if they do that anymore. Uh, I thought you what you're saying. Like, yeah, I mean, as long as you can hold on to it, hold on to it. But at this point, it's almost like there's a, you know, bleeding, gaping wound in your arm. You know, why not just cut it off and, and get a bionic arm? Because at this point, they can't really do a whole lot new with it, right? No. No, but listen. Let it die. Announce a huge expansion with some other property. No, and, no, no. You know, something, something cool, and then, and then cut your losses and, and move on to something else. Send that Spider-Man ride over to Disney. Yeah, <laughs> I would take Spider-Man that in a heartbeat. Ride. No, 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 no. You, you know as well as I know that most of the general public, there is no difference in their mind between Walt Disney World and Universal Studios. And in fact, when you talk to people and they say, I went to Disney and I went to, uh, and I say, oh, which parks did you go to? I went to the Magic Kingdom and I went to Universal Studios. You know, th- th- it's the same. So Universal is happy that they don't care that people think, you know, Disney owns this. People want Spider-Man and they assume it's all connected. They're fine taking the money. I promise you. It is not, it's not smart uh, to me. And I'm not a business person. I don't work for any of these things. So I don't know. To me, it it doesn't make any sense to hang on, hang on that long to something that's featuring something from someone else. And that you can't ultimately do a whole lot more with in the future. Why not just cut it all out, do a huge expansion to your park with some new highfalutin property that's what Universal does. Well, I understand what you're saying, but the alternative to that is they are receiving benefits without having to do any work. Disney is the one paying for these movies. Disney is the one producing these movies. And Marvel is just sitting there with attractions that are already built, already featuring these characters, and they don't have to do anything except collect the tickets, you know, the ticket money as it comes in. Yeah. Making it harder for themselves, though, I think is what they're doing. True, but I think Universal has always been short-sighted for the most part. In oh, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dedicating a whole land to Jurassic Park and, you know, that franchise really going stale there for about 10 to 15 years. It's been rebooted, you know, within recent years, of course, but uh, that was probably a short-sighted thing in the 90s is to put a lot of uh, money into that. And even sometimes I wonder with the Harry Potter if they've kind of limited themselves or put themselves in a box with that because you're not going to get a whole lot of new Harry Potter content yeah. In the future. Seven years later. <laughs> well, that that being said, it is kind of hard for me to see Disneyland keep getting these, like they're getting a whole Marvel land with an Avengers ride and a Spider-Man ride on top of the Guardians of the Galaxy ride they already have. Over there, you can meet Captain America, Spider-Man, Thor. You can meet Black Panther now. Uh, here, you could meet Doctor Strange for like a month and then he went away. So it is, there is a very big gap between what there is Marvel at Disney World and what there is Marvel at Disneyland. But maybe that's changing because we are getting Guardians of the Galaxy, which the more I learn about those characters, mm-hmm. like the more excited I am for that roller coaster. So anyway, anything else Marvel related? I'm excited it's making money and excited for the future. Yeah, I wonder it's number 15 of all time highest grossing films right now. I wonder what number it's going to be when we record next week's show. You'll have to tune in to find it. <laughs> That's right. You Do cannot look it up online. Hear it here. You have to wait. So, anyway, I think that does it for this week's episode. Terry, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Always, Always a pleasure. Exactly what I was going to say. Ah. 
Well, that's good that the feeling is mutual. All right, well, <laughs> listeners, you can find us online at Mad Chatters on Instagram and Twitter. You can go follow our Facebook page, or you can send your emails to comments at madchatters.net. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Take a little time to find the magic in every day. Bye now. Ninety-eight for like those four or five years there. Um, what's happening? I'm sorry, I was showing her the picture of Nick Cage. <laughs> oh, I thought. I'm very sorry. Uh, my, my brain was blown. My so. mind immediately went uh, somewhere else. That. What is that? It's Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage is Superman. Was that a real thing? Yeah, they were. I mean, it was going to be like a full, big on blockbuster, and then they canceled it. Well, clearly.